Thank you, guys. I'm almost tempted to call it right here. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those days we're glad we don't have a clock in the sanctuary. So, um, no, we're, we're grateful, and it was a privilege to uh, see all these uh, wonderful children all week long. This is the quietest that they've been all week. Uh, you could not walk in the building before without uh, hearing them, and it was uh, a lot of joyful noise uh, throughout the week. So thank you especially again to Randall and Sally and Sarah and, and everybody that made this week possible. Uh, if you would, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We began a series in Philippians uh, two weeks ago. And uh, now we are in Philippians chapter 1. This is verse, verses 3 through 11. And uh, as we begin our journey into Philippians, uh, remember that to understand this book, that we need to know the context. And uh, as Paul was writing this book, he was in a prison in Rome. And he was writing uh, from a prison to this Philippian church where Paul had endured punishment and imprisonment there to a church that was poor and persecuted. And it is out of, it is from that context and to these people that is who Paul writes to. So if you would please stand with me as we read God's word, Philippians chapter one. These are verses three through 11. Father God, we pray that this morning you would open our eyes to your word, that you would speak the truth to our hearts that we wouldn't help but be able to respond to the words of encouragement and love that you have for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is Philippians 1, 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's inspired word for us this morning. Please be seated. Remember that Paul's memories of this church are ones of joy. He is a servant, he is a joyful servant of the Lord, writing to encourage them, to remind them of the joy that they have in Christ, of all that God has done for them and through them. So in every prayer for this church, Paul is filled with the memories of faithfulness in partnering with the gospel from the very beginning. You know, it means so much to know that there are people who always have your back, you know, who are true partners no matter what. And there are many people in this church that are like that. Although there's one mother in particular who always told me when we took a trip, if something happens to my son, just keep driving. Don't come back. Okay? 
Just keep driving. No, but and there, there are some of you who have uh, come to Central uh, after I got here. I've been here for over 10 years now. And even if you've been here for 10 years, uh, if I was here before you, you will always be the new people to me. Okay, um, you know, if, if you've been here for a long time, you'll always just be those new people. But I still think of, of these new people are full of partners with the gospel from that first day. And here's Paul walking into Philippian, uh, walking to Philippi, and he is not entering a place that had an established church. He did not ha- walk to a church that, that had a rich tradition that was well known throughout the community. In fact, when he got to Philippi, there was no church at all. There was not even a synagogue, just some God-fearing women who met down by the river to pray. They had never even heard of Jesus. They did not have the gospel. But when Paul told them the gospel, they believed from the very beginning, from that very first day, and their belief never wavered. Now, Paul clearly understands who it is that is responsible for the faithfulness of the Philippian church. He was an apostle, uh, and he was unashamed at sharing the gospel, but he wasn't responsible. And these women, they were already meeting, and they were already praying, and and clearly they they were what we might call, you know, good people, but they were not responsible. Well, then, who was responsible? Well, he says here, it is he who began that good work, that good work. You know, when when I was younger, I tried and quit lots of things. Okay, um, in elementary school, third grade, you you could try out for uh, the the band. You could learn an instrument, and so as as we had this opportunity to do instruments, I saw you know what saxophone. That looks like an awesome instrument to play. You know those guys, they're you know doing the head bob and and all of that fun stuff, and it looked really cool. And so I chose the saxophone because it looked, quite frankly, to be kind of easy and fun. Um, the problem with playing an instrument is that you have to learn how to read music and you have to practice. And those two things are not really fun at all. Uh, so, I don't, so my saxophone days lasted for one year. And then I decided, you know what? Drums. Drums are for me because drums, I don't have to learn how to read music. I, don't, I, you know, I can do those cool drum rolls on the snare drum. Um, and, and the, but the problem with drums is that they start you off with literally a block of wood. And then you graduate to a little pad. And, and, and you never actually get to the snare drum if you don't practice, and you can't really do a good drum roll on a block of wood. So that wasn't really any fun either. Um, and so I quit that. Uh, in sixth grade, uh, I, I, I thought, you know what, I'll try out for the football team. Uh, Looked great. I had a great time uh, tossing a football around in the backyard. I would always practice those catches, you know, on the sideline or back of the end zone. The ones where you have to kind of, you know, lay out like that. I'm, I'm really good at those catches. Uh, but when I went to try out for the football team, they already had their receivers. They already had their running backs. They already had their quarterbacks. And you know the position that they needed to fill? The linemen. <laughs> Offensive linemen. And they made you run, and they made you sweat, and sometimes they made you cry. Um, and that wasn't any fun either. And so, so I quit that. Didn't even make it through a whole season. This is all true. Uh, you know, a few years later, Boy Scouts stopped being cool, and um, I was tired of being made fun of, so I quit that in the eighth grade. You know, 
And I already told you uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I mentioned how many different gyms I've been a part of and quit throughout the city. You know, so I have a long personal history of quitting and failure. Okay? I, I do. I, have, I, I start things and, and, and kind of go halfway through. Uh, when I read novels, I, I read about two-thirds of the way, and then I'll pick up a different book and start reading that one, always thinking, well, I'll come back and finish that one later. You know, and I, I never do. Um, and so I've got a whole litany of books that I've almost read all the way through. Um, and honestly, I think most of us have kind of a similar experience. Your, your, your personal history of failure may not be as great as mine, um, actually. But, but that's why God intervenes in the lives of believers. You know, Paul reminds us here that it is the Lord who started the work. And it was Christ who was at work in his servant, Paul. It was the Spirit who was convicting the hearts and the minds of the ladies at the river, of this demon-possessed girl in Philippi, of the man in the jail. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, no one may boast. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to take credit for the things that I do. Um, my accomplishments. And probably one of those reasons is that my list of accomplishments is actually pretty short. You know, I, I married up and I've got three beautiful daughters. Uh, that's, about, that's about all I've got, right? Um, but, but I'm not the only one. I think we all like to take credit for the things that we're responsible for. You know, one of the constant refrains in my house, and of course I've got three daughters at home, is, is hey, Daddy, look at me, or hey, Daddy, look what I did. Now, those aren't always necessarily good things when you come and look at what they did or, or, or those things that, that happened. Um, but, but the kids are always so proud of the things that they do. You know, our refrigerator is full of these artistic masterpieces, you know, mixed media, like combining dirt and glue and paint and, you know, all this stuff. It's up all over the fridge. You know, we, they love to boast. And we, love, we like to boast. And it's a natural thing. But, but here's the thing that Paul is telling us, that we can't boast about grace. See, because we can't boast about the work that someone else did. Now, what work did God begin in these lives? What's well, the work of grace? And what is grace? Well, it is a gift of unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. It is free to receive, but it is costly to obtain. See, just because grace is free to me doesn't mean that it is worthless. A few uh, days ago, uh, last Saturday, there was a group from Central that went over to volunteer at Choose Life of North Alabama, and they had uh, one of their staff members, Kathy, there, was telling us about the different services and things that they offer to the women that come through their building. And she said that when they receive new clients, they make it very clear that their services are free to them, but they are costly. They have many donors who give a lot of money So that these pregnant women, in often difficult situations, have somewhere to go where they will not be condemned for their actions, but they will be supported and encouraged. And they want everyone to make make sure that they understand they are getting the best possible quality of medical care. And also the best possible spiritual care. See, for them, it is free, but it is actually 
quite costly. They make sure that they understand that there is a God who loves them as, as, as well as loves the child in their womb and that they promise to be there with them not only during but after and in the days following their pregnancy. You know, this, so this is a good work that the Lord started in us. It's based on grace. And it's a good work in four ways. Okay, four ways. It is good in origin. It is good in quality. It's good in purpose. And it's good in result. So faith is good in origin. You remember there's, an, that there's a man who came up to Jesus and called him a good teacher. And Jesus replied, well, good. Why do you call me good? No one is good except the Father. Well, who started the work in us? The good work is in us, but it is not begun by us. And God started the work because he had to. We could not possibly choose God. See, people, we don't seek God. They reject God. All of us do. I've done it, and so have you. We all at one time or another had hoped that we might be acceptable to God based on our actions or maybe based on our baptism or based on our confirmation or based on something else that we were responsible for. But the truth is that no one actually seeks God. So we don't understand him. We we reject him. And the, the miracle, the good news of the gospel is that God still comes to us and opens our eyes, giving us the faith to believe. C.S. Lewis was a Christian author, and he was corresponding with a young atheist student who had these questions about faith. And Lewis wrote to him, he said, I think you are already in the meshes of the net. The Holy Spirit is after you. I doubt if you'll get away. And not long after that, this atheist student surrendered his life to Christ, having long been pursued by God. James Montgomery Boyce wrote that if in the struggle there was ever a moment that you seemed to seek him, it was only because he was there beforehand moving you to do it. In uh, 1893, uh, Francis Thompson wrote this uh, 180-line poem called The Hound of Heaven in which he describes his relationship with the Lord. It begins, I fled him. Down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. So the author had spent a lifetime running away from God in order to pursue his own fleeting pleasures of life. And in the end, he realizes that God had been pursuing him the entire time. So we don't choose God, but he chooses God. Us. He pursues us. He chases us down like this hound from heaven. But that doesn't leave us off the hook either. You know, we can't simply say, well, I'm, I'm saved and, and, and that's all I need to do. You know, faith is not just a prayer that we pray. It's not a one-time event. And faith isn't coming forward at a service. It's not getting baptized or it's not taking communion. It's, it's, it's part of those things, but, but that's not what true faith is. Faith is surrendering to Christ, which is the beginning of a transformed life. See, Christianity is not just a box that we can check, but it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. So God started the good work in us 
and God will preserve that good work. God preserves not for selfishness, but for service. And God's work of grace qualifies us for works of service. See, his work is the catalyst for our work. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 said that it's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not our doing. But the very next verse, verse 10, says that for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, how many of you enjoy working? Now, I didn't say how many of you like getting paid, okay? How many of you enjoy work? You know, we all like getting a paycheck. We all like having a job, right? But when it comes to work, well, work is something that requires effort. It's, it's difficult. It's taxing. It's, it's hard. It's laborious. It wears you out, and it's, and it's not fun, right? You know, you've heard that phrase that if you love what you do, then you'll never work a day in your life. Well, I've not quite found that to be true. See, there's always something in our lives that is going to be work, whether it's in our careers or in our homes or in our social life, some aspect of these things will always be work. William Hendrickson said that although it is true that God brings his work to completion, it is equally true that when God has once begun his work in men, the latter by no means remain merely passive instruments. So we are not called to a life of passive faith, to sitting back in comfort and relaxing or resting in our eternal security. You are an instrument, a tool of God, and tools are created for work. So he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Our confidence is not in our own abilities but it is in God's promises that God will bring it to completion. We had this conversation over lunch last week with uh, one of our students, and they were talking about inequality in heaven and having this hard question of, well, well if, if God wants all of us you know, to be there with him, why does the Bible talk about there being certain rewards for life? And why does Jesus say that, um, you know, place... Put up your treasure in heaven, because where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Why does the Lord talk about that if if in heaven we should all be equal people? And why does God talk about there being certain rewards for some and not for others? Well, um, rewards, uh, oftentimes, in in Paul's day, in Jesus' day, to run a race, your reward was a crown, a crown of laurels. You know, those who won these ancient races were crowned with these crown of laurels. In Revelation chapter 4, we're taken through the throne room of Christ. And there, these 24 elders, they fall on their knees, and they take off their crowns, and they cast them before Jesus, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So the answer to that question, why is there inequality? Well, well we were all created the same, and, and, and with our rewards, we would do the same as these in the presence of Christ. 
then our response would simply be not just, hey, God, check out these rewards, but Lord, here is our sacrifice to you. We wouldn't say, worthy am I, God, but worthy are you. See, our efforts aren't, to, aren't for us to secure some type of more important place in heaven, but it's that we have something to offer to Christ. We don't offer rams or goats or pigeons or those things that they sacrificed on the altar in the Old Testament. But Romans 12 states, tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. Now, our sacrifice is not made on a stone altar. Our sacrifice is made on the dirt or on the pavement with each step that we take, with each word that we utter, which, with each thought that we think, we have the opportunity to sacrifice to the Lord God, the Almighty. And finally, this idea of perseverance teaches us simply that God always finishes what he starts. God always finishes what he starts. There's, this passage is, is part of is one of three passages in the New Testament that very clearly describe what what some have called the perseverance of the saints. And simply this, that if the Lord has his hand on you, he will see you through. Romans 8, 27 through 30 is one of those passages in in, in which uh, it says that, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So predestined and called and justified and glorified, God's work is evident in our lives every step along the way. Finally, the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. He said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. See, God always finishes what he starts. If he has begun a good work in you, he will see it through to completion. See, he starts it and he finishes it. And that's God's promise for us. But he doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. He promises work. But he starts it, he qualifies it, he paid for it, and he will finish it. And he will see it through to the end. So let us pray. Father God, we come to you this morning with this realization that you are the one. Lord, you're the one that that draws us to yourself. You're the one that starts the work in us. Lord, you are the one that qualifies us for this work. And Lord, you are the one to make sure that it is seen through to the end. Lord, this, this offer of life is, is, not, is one that is free, but Lord, it is costly. Because it costs you your son.
We pray, Lord, that our work would be excellent in quality, that it would be timely, Lord, that it would be faithful, and Lord, that you would continue that work in us until the last day. We are grateful for your word and grateful for your promises. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.